With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everyone, welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Beasley, joined by uh, the Echo's Everton correspondent, Joe Thomas, our regular guest, uh, Gavin Buckland, as we preview um, tomorrow's Premier League fixture between Everton and Aston Villa. Another big game for the Blues, they all seem like cup finals at the moment. And uh, see, so we start with uh, big breaking news this morning. Joe, uh, we, we were all aware that it, uh, it was uh, Everton were on the verge of this, but it's been announced this morning. You Four and a half year contract for Jordan Pickford keeps him up, um, committed to the club for a decade and through to the, the summer of 2027. Yeah, absolutely fantastic news. And, and one last, I think we've all seen the pictures and some of us are tweeting them. One, one last moment for uh, for contract Dave, Dave Harrison, just to uh, okay. just to pull a deal over the line before he leaves for Manchester United after 27 years with the club. So that's, um, I'm, I'm pleased for Dave that he gets to leave on those positive pictures as opposed to yeah. the transfer window that's just, Happened, but yeah, like like you say, breaking news now. I mean, we're recording at ten past eleven, and it was formally announced at ten thirty, so forty minutes ago. But we all knew it was about to happen. I think, yeah. you know, I, I wrote the story on Wednesday night saying that it was imminent, and then Sean Dyche's press conference yesterday left no real kind of um, fears that something was about to happen. He was pretty open that they were they were closed. We certainly had opportunities to say it wasn't and didn't take him, and we can all read into that. Fantastic news for Everton. I think um, read a couple of times over the past few months, really, that Jordan Pickford's happy on Merseyside. He loves the club, loves yeah. being around here. Um, and and it, on the front Lampard, there were periods where it looked like a deal was imminent. But then the World Cup kind of just halted proceedings a little bit. And then obviously after, we all know what's happened from, from Wolves onwards on Boxing Day to, well, pretty much now. I mean, the club has just basically been in crisis. So that's just probably hold, you know, ha- hampered a few things. But for this to get done over the line with Everton's, you know, Premier League, long-term Premier League stability still under threat, I think it's just, it's just a significant boost. And for it to happen so early in in Sean Dyche's regime as well, again, it's it's another, it's another a massive boost for him because you know, Jordan, Jordan Pickford's a wonderful goalkeeper. He's bet, he is a better player than the standard and the level that Everton are allowing him to play at at the moment. You know, he... Yeah, you know, we we see what he does as England's number one. We see what he's done at several major tours, played in the Euros final, played in a World Cup semi final, being one of the best players in several of those international tournaments. And you know, I think it was it didn't really surprise anybody that the likes of Tottenham and maybe Manchester United were being moved to as potential suitors for the summer. Both of whom have looked like they're going to have long term goal keeping issues to to try and solve shortly. So. With all that in the mix, you think for someone like Jordan Pickford's age, 28, he's got a long way to go as a goalkeeper, but you know, probably approaching his prime. Nobody could argue that he's you know, given everything he can for Everton over the last few years. You know, with those type of opportunities approaching and the opportunity to kind of, you know, for the wheels to be put in motion a little bit easier because he's entering the final year of his contract, I think most players, as much as they would like to see, would understand why he would be open to moving elsewhere. So for him to commit to Everton, and in these circumstances, 
well, it speaks volumes about what he must think of the club. And it also is a positive endorsement for, for Sean Dyche as well, who's only been there for a couple of weeks, but has managed to convince him to stay. Yeah. Gav, as, as Joe says, given that the position Everton currently find themselves in is still very much in, in a relegation battle, so, so somebody who is the, the England number one committed himself uh, should be a, a really positive move for the club. Even now, if the worst comes to the worst and a suitor comes in, at least you're protected by the length of that contract now. Yeah, well, that's the thing that, that, that I'm pleased about, really. He's got, was 18 months left on his contract? Yeah. Is it 20, 24? Yeah. So... Well, once he signs a year extension, I think, 2018, something like that. Um, yeah, and that, that's the thing that fascinates not fascinates me, but that's the thing that I'm particularly focusing on on this. So once you enter your last two years of your contract, the club is vulnerable. Should the player want to go or uh, things happen outside of their control and you get you know a value for the player that's far less than what they're actually worth on the pitch. And so by signing a new deal, we've, we've protected our assets, haven't we, really? And, and, and his value as probably one of the only spot two or three, you know, sort of, you know, expensive, you know, expenses to buy players at the club. I think on would be the other one. I think that's good news for Everton. You know, regardless about what Jordan's longer term ambitions are, at least means if he, if he does move, we'll get, we'll get the right price for him, really. And so, from that perspective, that's why I'm really pleased about this uh, this deal. And as Joe said, he's what 28, 29. So in theory, he's entering his three years of his peak. Yeah, as a keeper. And so, hopefully, that will be at Everton. But we do know that if it's not at Everton, we will get the best deal we can for him, which has not necessarily been the case with some of the players we've had in the past for varying yeah. reasons. And some of it, obviously, outside of Everton's control. Joe, as Gav says, it is protecting the asset there. That I mean, it wasn't popular, but last summer Richarlison was sold, and there was a sort of an understanding that with two years left of, of his deal, he wouldn't be signing a new deal. So it was the right time um, to cash in. But that this perhaps we shouldn't underestimate how settled Jordan is here. I mean, as because of the the situation sort of around him, he's caught. Uh, quoted controversy at times, often not necessarily his fault, but there's sort of a lot of, lot of as, as seems to be the parlance now, a lot of noise seems to follow him around at, at, at the times. But I mean, that Everton have always stuck with him and the fans always have. Yeah, they, they have. And I think, you know, we've all been, I mean, we spoke about it a lot during the World Cup because it was all we had to talk about really, um, with the exception of, of the, the, the trip to, to Australia. But, you know, we've all been there and, and seen how rival teams for, you know, even over the past two years, have constantly sought to criticise Jordan Pickford. When you're looking at, you know, you're looking at a player that's effectively ended England's penalty shootout curse at major tournaments because of his, his saves. You know, I mean, he saved two um, penalties in the in the final against Italy in the Euros. You know, normally that'd be enough for a, for a goalkeeper to be lifted on shoulders and recognised a national hero because your side has won yeah. that tournament. Um, and you know, people have been saying things like. Oh, well, he performed well for England, but not for Everton. And for anybody who's been watching him week in, week out, that's that's nonsense. I think yeah, yeah, you know, he's someone that's easy to criticise because his bad moments, and every goalkeeper has bad moments. His bad moments tend to look particularly bad for for, for whatever reason. You know, even this season, you, you think about the opening goal away at Bournemouth when when, when he dropped it at someone's feet, and you look at um. You, you look at the criticism he got after the derby a couple of weeks ago with. 
with the opening goal from Salah of his position. I, I didn't think he deserved that much criticism for that, to be honest. I mean, it's all down to perception, isn't it? For, for me, it was a case where he was three on one against him, and he, he gambled on he gambled on, on making himself, you know, trying to predict what would happen to give him the best chance of of of, of, of stopping that. And but really, I mean, he was never he was always a massive, massive underdog in that situation. It didn't look good. But it wasn't his fault that it ended up in that situation in the first place. It's the players around, and it left him, you know, three attackers on one, uh, you know, all, all bearing down on it. You know, I think you know we, you only have to look at some of the saves that he's made this season, and last season. I mean, you know, right a piece of the minute, you know, that that save from Caesar Aspilicueta against Chelsea last yeah. season, one of the most important saves in Everton's history. You know, when you look back on what that game meant, Everton would cut adrift at the bottom of that time. They don't win that game against Chelsea. You know, I think they'd have been five points drift from Leeds United, albeit with a game in hand, with six, you know, with with five more games to go. You know, it would have been that like Chelsea game kickstarted the survival bid. You had the first coach welcome before the game, and and you had the three points that then led on to the good feeling, the amazing away end. But Leicester, the three points there, you take that away, Everton are down. You know, and and Pickford backed that up with another incredible performance at Leicester the following week. You, know, you then come into this season, you think of the saves from Darwin Nunes in the, in the Goodison derby, uh, the reflex save from William at Craven Cottage. He does this week after week after week. And I think we'd all like to be in a scenario where Everton aren't so reliant on him producing magic so often and also not in a position where because every goal hurts so much when he does make a mistake, it looks particularly bad because of, of what it means because Everton are a team that struggles to score goals. But, you know, I mean... Pickford's just, he's been a wonderful keeper on top form for, for, for so, so long. And, you know, like I alluded to, you know, moments earlier, it made perfect sense that someone like Tottenham would see him a Champions League club at the moment chasing Champions League football next season with a goalkeeper who's now injured. But if we're honest, his, his form has fallen off a cliff over the past six months. Make perfect sense that someone like Tottenham would go for him. Manchester United and Dev De Gea, you know, few doubts over where he will be in the long term. It'd be perfect sense for them to be interested in him as well. You know, if he'd move to and he may still move to a Champions League club in the summer, you know, as Gav rightly alludes to, this you know, this this deal protects Everton's assets as much as anything. It doesn't mean he will never move. But there's no way that he signs that if he's not happy at the club and if he's not happy on Merseyside, you know, him and his family, you know, people I speak to that are close to Jordan have said for a long time that he's happy on Merseyside and he you know he loves the club and he loves being around it. And you listen to that and you think, well, he probably does, but obviously you take it with a little bit of a pinch of salt because it's coming from third hand. But, I mean, if you wanted any further proof, I mean, Everton in the middle of the second relegation battle in consecutive seasons and, you know, they're probably their best player and most significant asset has just committed his future to them. I mean, he must be happy and that's a good sign for everybody. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah. Gav, this criticism we've spoken about with Jordan Pickford, I mean, we've, we've talked about this before. Is there some sort of ulterior motive agenda here? I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll call it out. I mean, what happened in the Merseyside derby with Virgil van Dijk, there's a lot of people associated with Liverpool who probably should have known better the way they reacted to that particular incident and the things they said afterwards. Uh, but it does seem to follow him around. Yeah, yeah. Just just to pick up on Joe's points, so I think... Yeah. I agree with that, Joe, and on the base of Bonson to stay. The proof is, is if he didn't want to stay, he wouldn't. He'd like allow his contract to run down. So if he when he did move, he'd, he'd maximise his personal terms that he could get in those circumstances. 
than if his fee was like 30 or 40 million quid. Yes. So there's that aspect to it. The, the, the previous like is what he's not done and he's not allowed his contract to run down because that's, that's his, in his, in his favour then if he wants to move. So by signing the contract, he's sort of indirectly saying, I do want to stay. Um, yeah, going back to your point, yeah, I've spoken about this before a couple of times on the pod. I think there's a lot of social engineering stuff and how we are as a nation and how we treat players and their backgrounds around Pickford's criticism over the years. You know, I think there's several several people in the England team who've, who've, who've had similar stick. I mentioned that Eve Sterling would certainly be one of them. And going back in years gone by, you know, Wayne Rooney would be up there, wouldn't he? Um, and I think that's behind it. And then let's face it, Jordan on occasions has not helped so fatty. Uh to be fair, on and off the pitch. So yeah, I think some of that has followed them round and I think the Merseyside derby, let's face it, he was very lucky, wasn't he? I mean he was, he was lucky that the referee had already blown off for offside. The referee had not blown off offside, I think Pickford wasn't being off the pitch. But he, he sort of has tempered that over the last couple of years, hasn't he? And I think one of the things that baffles me at the moment is a sort of bit of hair of worshipping of Carlo Ancelotti this week by Evans sure. Um which considering his, the circumstances in which he left the club in his dire 18 months here um, I, I do find baffling but I think one of one of the legacy bits of Ancelotti's reign is the fact that I think he he managed Pickford really well in the aftermath of that Incident and, and I think Jordan, by his own admission, has said that he felt supported and, and came out of that. And the subsequent criticism a far more balanced individual, and that's certainly been reflected on his, you know, the performances on the pitch over the last couple of years. He, he's still got a mistake in him, but every goalkeeper has got a mistake in him. Yeah. I mean, look at Nick Pope on Saturday night. Yeah, he's Pickford's successor. He made the right haul of that, didn't he? You know, imagine not being Pickford. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I do think he is victimised, but that's just just the way the country is, isn't it? Really, and the way the way they treat certain footballers of certain backgrounds and goalkeepers in particular. And yeah. uh, I, I just think it's really good news, uh, you know, for lots of different reasons. It's what they call a win-win. I think uh, Chris in uh, in business circles, I think Pickford signing yeah. a, a new deal. Yeah. Joe, I guess the, the the challenge just finally I'll unpick from from yourself um, is is for Everton to sort of, to match that level, like you say that he he is on as um, when he first came to the club, twenty seventeen. They were in Europe at the time. It was the summer when they did all the spending, the record breaking spending. You know, we won't want to be spent in the next few years in, in relegation battles. You know, we, this, this date takes him beyond the move to the new stadium, and like I said, up up to a decade service with the club. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, I mean, he, I think in 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 his comments upon sign, and he he makes reference to to that long term, the longevity of the situation here, and that he wants to be kind of known as one of the great keepers of the club up there with with Neville Southall, and that you know he, he says the right things. And the difference probably is, you know, a lot of players and managers and people and, and over a long period, and just in general and in football, say the right things but don't back it up with their actions. You know, as Gav just said, you know, Jordan Pickford committing to his future and, and at least at the very least saying that if someone is gonna come and get to me and they're gonna get the full asking price, you, you can't ask for more than that. You know, he's it's been some say for him on this I was looking back at the pictures of him when he signed from Sunderland back in two thousand. So I mean him yeah. in contract Dave, like a lot <laughs> a lot I mean they often they were a lot younger then back in two thousand seventeen, <laughs> but 
they 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 both of them really really have really have changed it. like um but you know he, Ridley Jordan more than contract day to be fair yeah Ridley Jordan more than the contract day absolutely yeah. but yeah you, you look at that that time that Jordan's had on on I mean he's one of the few sides one of the few big money signings that have been made under the machinery era that hasn't been a mistake that he says have been an, an overwhelming success you know the only the only failure on in in relation to Jordan Pickford is the fact that Everton haven't been able to provide a side that could perform at the levels in the league that befit his ability. I think. Yeah, right. Uh, Gav, Joe has just mentioned the S word, Southall. <laughs> Neville Southall, Gav, you said is by a country mile. So, so I'm paraphrasing now. Best Everton player you've ever seen is. Oh yeah, I don't want. Is Jordan Pickford the best Everton goalkeeper? Since Neville Southall, thinking there's only probably possibly two main candidates, Nigel Larkin and Tim Howard. Is Pickford the best in Southall? Yeah, I've got him ahead of Howard. I think Howard yeah. was good for three years, but I think he was, um, I don't want to use the word liability, but I will do it. I think from about, I think when Lescott went, I always thought he had the good relationship with Jackie Elka, Lescott, Howard was really, really strong. And I think some of that disappeared when Lescott went. And I think, if you have a look at even from 10, 2010, 11, Possibly even before that, number of goals he conceded, the Howards at false is, is absolutely frightening. I mean, the, Moses last season, 12 13, Howard was uh, just dreadful. And I, th- I think there were reasons why he kept his place under Martinez, but um, but Howard was very good between 2006 and 2009. They still had some great moments after that, but I'm no, I don't think he's as good as Pickford. Uh, Martin. I'd, I'd say I was thinking about this yesterday. Actually, um, I, I'd still say I'd rather have Martin and goal. To be fair, and and the reason for that is I think Martin would never have made that mistake. Pickford made it. Liverpool the other week, um, but it's a marginal call. And Martin was only here eighteen, what eighteen months, Chris? Two years. Two, two and a half years. Yeah, two and a half years. Yeah, I think it was three years in total, but he was injured for a lot that last yeah, half yeah. season, wasn't he? So, yeah. Yeah. Two and a half years. Um Martin. I think over that time he was he was a more consistent and, and secure keeper than Pickford. The only thing I'd say but at the same time, I think Joe's just alluded to this. If there was a big game, like we talked about the Chelsea game last year, we you know you've under pressure, you'd probably want Jordan in goal. Because I think yeah. his performance ceiling is higher. Mm. Well, the counter to that is Mark was playing forever when he was 40. And we all know he should have been yeah. playing forever when he was 20. But yeah. when he was it's 40, an old podcast, is it? Yeah, retro. Old podcast in itself. I, I'd sound, I, I don't know. It, it's, you could, like, this is the whole podcast. This, this whole thing <laughs> is a podcast in itself, this question. Um, I, I'd, I'd still rather have Martin than Pickford, but it's, it's a very marginal call. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, that's not an opinion I'm totally confident with um, but who knows in two or three years time if Jordan's here is a peak years and we've yeah. recovered on the pitch that might not even be a you know a, 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 any you know a difficult question, question to answer it will be Pickford so let's yeah. I think I'm bottling out here so let's wait yeah. till Jordan finishes his event career yeah. before I'm fair. I answer okay. that one, but, but I tell you what, you never be as good as Nav. 
Yeah, it's just yeah. like that. I think we can all agree on that. I think that's the thing, isn't it? But I, I think the biggest, you, the biggest tribute you can say to Jordan in his six years here is that there have been performances, even in this first season, that never is best. You know, that that reminds you of never is best. And Joe, I mean, you missed it. The Man United game the start last season. First twenty minutes of that game, he had Goodison. He's made two or three great saves. Right. Well, so uh, yeah, yeah. So um, difficult question. Well, Mark to make, but let's wait till uh, Jordan finishes up and clear. It's hopefully four or five years time. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Okay, fair enough. But we'll move on to obviously what is it? Another, like I said, they're all huge games. Now, but at least last weekend's results has, has sort of eased it, the pressure so lot and moved, Everton moved out of the, the bottom three. Uh, Joe, uh, Aston Villa, you were at Finch Farm yesterday for, for Sean Deitch's um, uh, press conferences. Press conference, sorry. Uh, how how was Sean? Uh, how are you feeling? Obviously, Dominic Calvert-Lewin looks like he, he, he's missing again, but I, I presume um, Mr Deitch was in a, a slightly more affable mood. Yeah, Deitch was in, it was in good form. Um, felt like, I, I mean... I watched from afar last week and after the Liverpool game and Dominic Cowan's still out, it Dyche looked a little bit, I mean, you'll be able to give me a better idea of this, this Chris. Right. Maybe we'll preface the question you've asked me by me asking, yeah. how was how how did you find Dyche last week going into the Leeds game? Yeah. Well, I, I, I he, he didn't answer my question directly or he batted it off as, as it were and I think um, sort of... Some of my colleagues were frustrated that he wasn't biting on certain issues, but no, I, I don't have a, a a problem with that. I, I think that he, by all accounts, he he does seem like he was he, he was a bit a bit more um, sort of uh, playing ball, perhaps. But you know, he doesn't need to do that yesterday. Yeah, I got the impression last week that punched Liverpool. He and having spent two weeks or so of the job, he kind of it kind of got the the atmosphere that as if he might have just realised how hard his job might be at Everton yeah, no. uh, and that. Is going to be a big challenge, um, and I thought that came across in some of his answers. And I don't, you know, I'm not saying that he was naive to that, and um, but I, yeah, I think post Liverpool, he, he possibly did that. And I think there was possibly a sense as well. See, Leeds was such a huge game for so many yeah. reasons, you know. Um, as you discussed earlier on in the week, yet it was you know, to have lost that game would have been, yeah, you know, it would have been a very difficult to come back from that from Everton. Obviously, having won it, Everton all of a sudden they're out of the relegation zone. They've won two in three under Deitch. The four consecutive home defeats that Lampard finished with have turned into two consecutive home wins. And Gunderson's a cauldron again, and we're back at home tomorrow. So, you know, for all those reasons, I think Deitch had plenty of reason to kind of be optimistic. And, and obviously, with the um, Jordan Pickford deal, yeah, approaching a, a positive conclusion there as well, that only would have served as another reason to be. To be to be positive, you know, he, he was in good spirits. He, he doesn't really, you know, he's very measured in what he says, uh, yeah. which is a good thing. You know, I think, yeah. you know, you mentioned there sometimes about kind of not buying on certain journalist questions. Again, from a club perspective, that's probably a good yeah. thing. It might make our job harder because it's harder yeah. than you spend a lot more time having to kind of trawl through his quotes and work out what the true meaning of them are rather than him giving, you know, sound bites just off the cuff, just like that. But maybe, maybe Frank Lampard was a little bit too open, a little bit too honest sometimes, I think. And the fact that Deitch is a bit more guarded, I don't necessarily think is a 
bad thing, although it makes our job slightly more difficult, I think. Um, you know, he, it was clear that Calvert-Lewin probably isn't going to be available, but one one thing he's stressed since he arrived is that Everton are more than Calvert-Lewin. Um, yeah, I think had he bore witness to the first four months of the season that we all witnessed in such detail, then he might have a slightly different conclusion because you know, no. without Calvert-Lewin, they're such a very, very different beast to what they are at the minute. But, you know, I think the... I think Deitch's growing in confidence as his knowledge base grows at, at Finch Farm. As the results help, and he keeps saying that, he keeps saying, you know, that obviously for all the work that he can do and all the plans that he can put in place, results will matter. And in a minute, if results are good, then that's going to help lift the mood a little bit. But, you know, he's constantly praising the, the group of players for, for their hard work, for their diligence. Again, I don't think he's going to be calling anybody out at this stage, if ever. But... He's trying to present a very positive outlook of life at Finch Farm at the minute and his early weeks. And, and while she would expect him to do that, I think that the results and to a certain extent the performance is back at oh, yeah, They've got six wins from nine. So yeah, six points from nine. Yeah. We always knew that uh, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we always knew well, that Derby was skip the beat there, Joe. It's also been at the battle of the universe for the last two months. <laughs> we yeah, we all we all knew the Darling was going to be hard despite Liverpool's form going into it, but they outplayed Arsenal. They outplayed Leeds. It wasn't a brilliant performance against Leeds. You know, it left a lot to be desired, I think. But at the end of the day, they came up against a side that was probably more talented than them and they and they beat them and they were the better side. And yeah, so therefore there's there's a lot to build. I mean the Villa game tomorrow is it feels like the pressure's off a little bit more just because of those wins, because out and out the relegation zone. You know, I feel more confident in Evans' destiny being in their own hands at the minute than I was perhaps three weeks ago. You know, it feels, you know, it, tomorrow is an important game. I think Everton need to get the points, need, they need to get more and more points as soon as possible because they have a difficult run going into, you know, back end of March and, and April. It, the games do get hard and I think that in terms of a relegation battle, it's in Everton's interest to try and drag Nottingham Forest and Crystal Palace into it. And I think they can do that if they get the results early enough to then put pressure on those sides. And once them sides start thinking that they're in a relegation battle, Pars are already having a bit of a difficult time at the minute on the increased pressure, then then they might struggle even more. So you know, you died positive again, you know, just just very measured. I think that one thing that he's very keen to kind of one keen to kind of push I think is this idea that it's not panic stations after a loss and then it's not you know dancing on the pitch every time they win um, you know he, he kind of just wants to take a sensible approach and avoid that almost lurching from crisis to ecstasy that we perhaps went through a little bit under Lampard The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo Gav, I mean, a few weeks ago, so some people seem to get the wrong end of the stick, and they, they thought you were a journalist, and you had to you point out to them that you, you very much are the journalist, although obviously you're no, a, a regular. Well, journalist, that's the thing, you know. Wow. <laughs> yeah, uh, the like our, our regular and much welcomed uh, guest on, right. the, on the podcast, but so as a non-journalist, that uh, when yeah. uh, obviously your football does 
the talking with any football manager. But how have you found um, Deitch and the way he presents himself in, in, in the press conferences? I mean, are you heartened by the things that you hear from, from Deitch? Yeah, I'm heartened by it. I think picking up on Joe's points, I think the difference in Lampard is just purely experience, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. You know, that Deitch has been doing Premier League conferences for what? Best part of the day since Bernie yeah. still came up. I know he's had one or two seasons out in that time. Uh, I think he's also got more of a don't know. I don't know. Sort of criticised Lampard here, but his his hints, his footballing hinterland is a, is a lot more different to Frank's, which is founded on success and people giving you credit and praise all the time. Dice's you know background is a lot more difficult, isn't it? And in some respects, it's a lot more challenging. You know, yeah. though Frank obviously had to work very hard, and 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 also as well. I think when you hear him interviewed and, you know, and, and there's obviously several podcasts out there, his interests, his life interests and and, 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 and trying to bring stuff in from general life into his football management appears to be far more, um, far more wide ranging than, 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 than Frank's as well. And indeed several other effort managers I can, I can think of. Yeah, witnessed yeah. the season the four thing with Donada that you you covered this week. So, yeah. he, he, so as a manager, I think just generally speaking, he brings a lot of the non-football and stuff into his conversations and and his experience. And I think that's reflected in the way he handles press conferences. Consequently, yeah. I think he he's a lot more grounded. He can call a lot call a lot more on his own football and life experiences. As well, you know, there is there is a decay, as somebody said to me, and I think this is more of an observation than a criticism. He just has to be careful sometimes that he doesn't stay into David Brent's territory, shall we? Shall yeah. um, which you know, there's a danger when you start start on that type of stuff that you do. Um, but you, you just see somebody who, who's been around the the circuit so many times in the Premier League. The way he handles it, I think he he's good. But you know, just make sure that he, on occasions you don't you don't stretch into parody, which he yeah. which he hasn't done. I think he's savvy enough not to not to do that. To be fair, yeah, and I think being I think enormously impressed with you know, just generally speaking, and communicating in in lots of different mediums. Really, not just the press conference as a podcast, general interviews. He. He's, a, he's just an interesting guy, I think. There's a, there's a lot more substance to him, I think, people have realised since he joined Everton than perhaps than when he was at Burnley. Yeah. In, in, in the same way that I don't mention his name, but I will, and because you mentioned it in the past, there's a lot more substance to Allardyce than what people people thought. And, and I think Dice is cut from the same cloth, but actually he's got a little bit more about him off the pitch. So, yeah, I think he's... Uh, he, he's, he's, you know, very. I think he's been impressive really thus far in a diff- difficult situation. I'd be, a, I think he leaves his best conference as a manager. Your, your first ones aren't it because a lot of the stuff that's going around is not your fault. And yeah. um, I'll six months time, nine months time, when assume we still here, it might be a slightly different, different dynamic in the same way it was with Frank. Yeah, I mean, uh, Joe. Uh- Gab mentions obviously the the chat that I had with with, with Stephen DeFord and the, he mentions obviously those those conversations he had with Amadou Anado, which Daisha brought him in on, and as you say, Daisha was actually present for. But one of the things that 
Defoe said as, about Dyche as, as well as his, his honesty and the, you know his straightforward approach, which we all know about, is uh, again uh, this idea of fighting the boxer you're in and Dyche, you know, don't do that. But the idea that he, you know, ideally he would want to play uh, a more, uh, as he says, like Manchester City or Barcelona type of football. But you know, he he's pragmatic and he gets the best out of the the, the players that he's got at his disposal. Yeah, I think that pragmatism will serve him well at Everton. Um, I think the, if his if his pragmatism leads to positive results and gets Everton where they were, Everton is a club. Perhaps and this is no disrespect to Burnley, where if he can put the founding, you know, the, the, you know if he, if he can put the foundations down, he will get the opportunity to then, you know, build on his 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 playing style and Everton because you know eventually you know, they they have the size and the history and, and they soon at some point will have the resources to kind of. Give him the the, the, you know, the the players and the, the opportunity to play different types of football if, if if he can first take the pressure off from from relegation battles. I think so. You know, be really interesting to see because obviously with, with Frank Lampard, I think we we saw Frank Lampard could be pragmatic at the end of last season. I think after the Tottenham game, whenever we just just ripped apart, I think we saw Lampard come to terms with the limitations of the players at his disposal and also the impact on his squad that the injuries were having and he basically played the percentages and played the only way that could have kept Everton up at that season. Wow. This season, there's probably been an element of trying to run before you could walk and just move from that to uh, a more progressive style a little bit too quickly, I think. Um, yeah, so with, with Deitch, I imagine it will be... You know, that's when I sound that step B will come after step A and then step C will come after step B. You know, it'll be an incremental improvement. Yeah. And yeah, if he can keep Everton in the Premier League and yeah, there is there is a lot of talent in that squad and there will be the ability over the summer, you know, with, with savvy minded operation to to strengthen it and, and to bring players in, you know, attacking players and players that can perhaps give more flexibility in terms of, of signings. I say that because you know, you, you'd like to think that anybody with a long run up and an awareness of what they need to do and, and what their resources, however limited they might be, are should be able to find op- options in the market to improve. Obviously, that didn't happen in January, and one of the questions going into this summer will be why didn't that happen in January? And are the same issues going to hold Everton back in the summer? But but I'm confident that you know if if Deitch has a long term future at Everton, then that will only come with him, you know, helping the club consolidate, stabilise, consolidate and start to push up the league and as he pushes up the league as we start you know, going into seasons or get into seasons where the threat of relegation, the pressure of having to try and win every single game because every game matters you know, alleviates then you know, I think I think Everton is a, a, a big enough club with enough potential for Deitch to have the opportunity to unleash his potential as a tactician and to develop his style and to try and play more progressive types of football and show that he is a manager that can play in multiple different ways. He's just got to get there first. I don't think that's going to happen this season because, you know, due to the situation that they're in and the size of the squad and the obvious problems with it, you know, while I think Emmett are more than capable of staying up, what I don't think they're going to do is I don't think they're going to go on a, a brilliant run and get themselves out of trouble by Easter and then Dice have the final games of the season to kind of experiment. I don't think Kevin are quite going to be capable of that, either in the best case scenarios. But 
you know, Everton are, as we all know, out in a club with so much more potential than they are displaying now or have displayed over, you know, the Mishiri tenure, even with the money that's been pumped in. And if Daesh is a manager and a tactician with so much more potential than he was allowed to display at Burnley for obvious reasons, you know, it could be a very happy marriage. The two could go in hand in hand. Um, hopefully they do because it'll only be a positive thing if they do. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Starting Gav, obviously, on a, on a short-term basis, this game against Aston Villa. Tomorrow, Lisa, it's little more than 13 months since we had the corresponding fixture last season. Everton have appointed a manager and sacked a manager yeah. since then in Frank Lampard. Obviously, Steven Gerrard's gone from, from Villa as well. Uh, Unai Emery, uh, what sort of uh, game are you expecting tomorrow? Um, I don't think it'll be like the Leeds game, will it? I think it will be, dare I say, Villa present the sorts of challenges that Liverpool presents. Uh, uh-huh. you know, we've got some speedy forwards, a little bit of pace up top. Watkins likes to you know, get in behind, use his pace a little bit. Um, so they're going to produce a, you know, a, produce pace on the break. And I think that's the way we got troubled against Liverpool, did we, really? So, they, you know, we obviously got a bit, bit of quality, more quality than Leeds. So I think it'll be a different, possibly a more open game than, than a Leeds match. And in many respects, this is, this is the... Trying to think about this. Is this Dice's first real litmus test? Because the derby is just one of them games that, you know, you, you, you just just throw away. Because we've thrown away so many times that the past has not been good enough. Arsenal was first game. Leeds was a little bit, well, Leeds at the bottom. You should win here. I think this is a good litmus test of where, where, what, Joe, what Joe was talking about there, about, you know, what, what are our qualities really like against the team that make... Maybe a bit more expansive against us than Meads. It was interesting yeah. to see how we handle that and how we handle the less the painful lessons of the derby, really, because that's how we got caught out and they have got they've got some speedy players, Villa. Uh, though they can't be got at. I mean, they can see, I know they played Arsenal and City, but they conceded what was it, eleven goals in three matches, Villa, something like that. Um, nice. you know, and uh, so they've been yeah. a bit vulnerable at the back. And uh, I, I'm expecting a more open game against the Leeds, uh, Leeds, obviously. <laughs> oh, for a better game than Leeds, that, that wouldn't be hard. But I do yeah. think Villa will, will give us some challenges that Leeds didn't, and, and to, to a certain degree, Arsenal didn't either. Yeah. Um, so I think it's we'll just have to watch out um, yeah. tomorrow because I think it's the dangerous opponents for us, I think, yeah. at this stage of Dice's tenure. Yeah. Well, given all of that, we'll come to, to predictions time. We'll see to finish with. Joe, if you want to go first. Yeah, yeah I think Gav makes a good point. I think it's going to be a difficult game. So one thing that the new IMRE side is going to be, is going to be organised and, you know, Leeds, Evan profited from Leeds' absolute, complete disorganisation last season. So it's going to be interesting. I'm going to go, I'm going to go with 1-1. One, one. Um, and I think I'd be happy with that. I think that would represent progress. Be another point. Yeah, you know, some of the teams around Everton that play each other or have it what on paper are difficult games tomorrow. Then they can keep that momentum. Villa are a dangerous opposition, as Gav says. Ollie Watkins is in exceptional form from scoring his last four. Everton can kind of keep up the home positivity with under and, and Deitch and just keep getting points on the board. Then you know I don't think that'd be a bad. So I'm going to go one-one. Gav. 
that's normally my bottle job score, isn't it, <laughs> Joe? One all. Well, you are not allowed to predict the same yeah, score if you want. Yeah, I, think I will. I will allow myself the, the, the privilege of saying the same score. And let's face it, a point is, you know, is takes you, you know, uh, t- t- not to say takes you up the table, but has the potential to take you went further away from the relegation zone. And that would make seven points from four games, wouldn't it? I'll be three at home, one against modest opposition. Uh, that would be decent, wouldn't it? Really, I think we'd all taken that. Um, so. And I just wonder after three defeats whether Villa will take a take a draw as well. By the way, um, so yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with a bottle job one all. And I'd like to think I've written that on a piece of paper before Joe says. Countdown, this should we should write it write it on then show yeah. it on on the, on, on the screen. Uh, but I'm going to go with one all. But it'll be yeah. be a tough. I think it'll be a tough game uh, yeah. tomorrow uh, against um, against a team managed by Emery. Somebody who I think may have turned the effort job down in the past. Um, he's a, I think he's an exceptionally good manager. Yeah. Well, I d- believe it or not, I, I was going to go one-one, but I'm 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 going to change my mind now. Seeing as you two have both gone for for one-one, and, and I'll be and I'll be positive, and I'll say two-one Everton. Actually, Everton scoring more than one goal, but just got, after what happened with uh, their keeper last week, I'm, I'm imagining some sort of. Strange goal, maybe it comes off somebody's backside or um, some unorthodox um, manner in front of the Gladys Street, possibly. So, yeah, having originally fought 1 1 myself, I'll, I'll, I'll finish on a positive note and I'll go 2 1 Everton. With, with that, Chris, well, with that, the fact I think I'm right in saying that Everton's all time leading goal scored at the Gladys Street side, there's opposition on goals. So, um, you prolific. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Well, there we go. And we'll, we'll all be back with you. Uh, Next week, what regards to the scoreline to uh, to digest what um, went on there? This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. I've been your host, Chris Beasley, been joined by Joe Thomas and Gab Buckland. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.